0: Oh, it's so fun to be with you guys. Good morning. I'm Brian Rhodes. Um, Morning. I know uh, some of you, but I don't know a lot of you. And before you think I'm just a guest speaker, I'm actually a member here. I want you to know that. Uh, My wife, Sandy, and I, um, some of you would know us better as Meredith Hale's mom and dad. (laughs) So that's okay. We like that name, too. We're okay with that. And, um, And we've been here 10 years. In fact, we were talking to the cameras last week. And we were trying to figure out how long we were here based on how long they were here. And they've been here a lot longer than we have. But we celebrate uh, 10 years. We love being here. And uh, we are missionaries with Awana. We're your missionaries. And we're so grateful that we can be a part of this family and the the work that gets done here as well as around the world. And um, so that's why we're gone a lot. Um, uh, In fact, I want to give a shout out to my friends that are streaming. I don't know who's in this service. Um, but I want to say hello, because just in the last few months while uh, we've been traveling, uh, in three different countries, I got to stream at the 9 o'clock service. Uh, now, it wasn't 9 o'clock for me, but it was 9 o'clock in the morning here. And it was such a blessing to come in and be a part of the family and to get to uh, just be... United with our church family, and and uh, it, it was great. Uh, I remember one, I was I was in Germany, and I think I'd missed a, a flight, got canceled or something, and I was going to be there for like a 19 hour layover, and I was having a really bad attitude. Just being honest, I really was, and and it just really lifted me up, and. I got to text Sandy and tell her I was listening in the 9 o'clock service and what a blessing it was. So so thank you, family. Thank you for those that are online. If you're ever sick or anything, don't think you can't come to church. Just get online. It was really worked well. Now, if you're not sick, come to church. But but otherwise, get online. Was that a good... I, you know, I'm, I'm a boomer, so I would say that. Just come to church. But um, anyway, we are so thankful that you're here. And... Um, This morning, um, we we just have a great series that God, I think, is going to work through. And this is the first week. This is a three-message series that will actually end the third message on Christmas Eve. And uh, today is called First Response. It's it's all about responses to Christmas. And today's first response, and it's the first responses of Zechariah. Now, not Zechariah, the Old Testament, Zechariah, the priest in the New Testament. That's what we'll be talking about. And then Mary and how they responded so, so much the same, but yet so different. And then next week, um, we'll be speaking, it'll be Michael actually, be talking about the shepherds and their response and what a curious response that was. And then on Christmas Eve, it'll be a great service to talk uh, and compare um, the, the uh, Herod and his response and the wise men and their response. So it'll, it'll be really interesting, a little different twist on, on the, the message. And today we're going to talk about, <clears throat> about really the, 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 the first response of both Mary and Zechariah. And the point to the message today is your response reveals your heart. That's really the point of the message. And really, as we go through this, you'll see that sort of the difference between Zachariah's response and Mary's response isn't what they said, isn't the practicality of their message, but but really, where was their heart? What, What was the outcome of the place of their heart and where they were? So I would ask you to imagine for a minute if God was very active in your life, think of a time when it just felt like God was listening and he heard your prayers. You felt like prayers were being answered. You go into the word and you feel like it's really vital and it's speaking to you. And there's great little gold nuggets and you're writing those down. And you just feel really good about your Bible study and your time alone with the Lord. And it's, it's really relational until you hit a dry spell. And then you kind of feel like, I'm not sure my prayers are getting through the ceiling. And you're reading, and reading goes from being a relational touch to a time of task. And you're kind of just checking it off because you know it's something you should do. Has anybody ever had a dry spell like that? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll just raise mine. Uh, because I, I definitely have had dry spells. And I think in our Christian walks, we all have those times where we really feel vital. And there's times when we feel like, wow, I, I just need God to speak into me and breathe something new into me. And, and um, this is kind of where our message begins this morning. Because what's happening here, imagine yourselves, If what if your dry spell went on for 20 years? Or what if it went on for 50 years? Or what if, like the children of Israel, it went on for 400 years? Because there was a time of silence from when Malachi, the prophet Malachi, to the time of the coming of Christ in Matthew, when there was silence among the Jews and God was silent with them. And uh, Malachi says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That was, that was basically the context right before there became 400 years of nothing. And um, that's that's really where our message is today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, because then the angel shows up, and even the Jews said that prophecy was sealed up with Malachi, and when he died, the Holy Spirit was taken away from Israel, the, the ark was gone. They expected, however, that it would be restored someday, but they didn't see that in the conclusion of John the Baptist which is what we will talk about. So so let's go to our text here Luke chapter 1 is going to be our uh, verses and we're going to actually start in verse 5 and I want to just read those to you and then talk a little bit about what what is so important about those 400 years. Um, How many of you are historical buffs in the room? You can raise your hand if you're a historical buff. Okay, well then then you'll appreciate this and could actually go much deeper than I will because one, we don't have time and two, I'm not a historical buff. uh, And I have spent a lot of time this week studying what all took place in those 400 years. It's actually quite amazing what happened in those 400 years. Let me read this text to you and then I'll tell you a couple of the things. In the days of Herod, king of Judea... Starting in verse 5, Luke 1. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now... This is a difficult time coming out of this 400 years. In fact, what's gone on, the majority of the Jews as they've come through this 400 years are just simply Jewish by name. Do you know anybody who is religious just by name? They're a Christian just because they were born into a Christian family. Or or, or maybe they're Catholic because they were born into a Catholic family. Or maybe they're Jewish because they were just born into a Jewish family. That was very much the case in this very difficult 400 years and what came out of that. There were many corrupt priests and said, they were saying at this time of Zechariah, coming into the New Testament, there were as many as maybe 20,000 priests Which is why the day that Zechariah, he got the lottery, we'll talk about that in a minute, they had to use a lottery for when a priest would come up. So imagine if Michael were a priest in this day, he might only get to preach once in his lifetime. It was not unusual that this was Zechariah's day to go into the temple and burn the incense. It was really a pretty special day for him within that context. Lottery was used for yearly sacrifice, which is how Zechariah got there. Um, God hadn't spoken in 400 years. And you got to kind of ask the question, was he really going to start now? I mean, why would he start now? At the end of the Old Testament, we read a minute ago that the Spirit of God had left with the temple. There was no Ark of the Covenant. And then some really crazy things happened during this time. And I'm going to give you the layman's version because I'm not the historian. But there was this uh, well, first of all, get this, okay? Everybody knows about the Roman Empire, right? Do you know how big the Roman Empire was at the beginning of that 400 years? Okay, here's a little trick it didn't exist. There was no Roman Empire at the beginning. It hadn't conquered anything. Do you know how big the Roman Empire was at the end of that 400 years? It had basically conquered the world. There wasn't anything left for Rome to conquer, right? Now, so Julius Caesar had conquered the world. um, And now they owned the world. And there was this guy, he was a Greek. His name was Antiochus IV. He was a Syrian king. He took his own name, Theos Epiphanes which means God manifested. So the Greeks had a way of doing that. You know, They wanted to consider themselves gods and goddesses, so they gave them godlike names. This, this guy was from Greece, and he came across in the early years of this 400 years, and he came across and was taking everything that he could. He went through Israel, took all of it, kept going, got to Egypt, and he got stopped. And he couldn't go any further. And so he got really upset, and he went back to Jerusalem. And guess what he did in Jerusalem? He devastated the Jewish people. He, he slaughtered thousands of people in that process. It was a really dark day for the Jewish people. And then, if that wasn't enough, this same guy took pigs... Okay, if you're a young kid, I'm sorry, uh, this is a little bit graphic, but I mean, it's, it's just, this is what it was. He took pigs and he went into the temple and he slaughtered these pigs in the temple and blood went everywhere and he, he slaughtered pigs as a sacrifice to the gods and goddesses that he had put in place in the temple and then he ordered everyone, priests and everyone that was still alive, to bow down and worship these gods. And if that wasn't enough, he made them eat the pork after they worship these gods. That's what was going on during this 400 years of silence and abomination. That's kind of ugly, isn't it? Well, one more thing for you historians. Then there was a Maccabean revolution. So there were some really tough Jewish people. I would think like if Matt Souls was Jewish, he This would be him. You know, he's just like a tough guy, right? Is he in here? I see. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he'd be a tough guy. So, so, so these Maccabeans, they decide to go against this king and they revolt and they win Jerusalem back. And, but it, it, it doesn't last long because they have to make a treaty with Rome because Rome is now in power in order for them to stay alive and not have another massacre. And so they make a treaty with Rome. And that's why a lot of people in the New Testament didn't like tax collectors. Because the tax collectors were the ones that worked within the Jewish population taking the money to Rome. Okay, I'm just connecting a few dots for you. And, um, and so... The Maccabean Revolution resulted in the Romans building a temple once again for the Jews in Jerusalem, but it was just to appease the Jews that were there. It was never really a temple that they would want to use. So, no Holy Spirit, a world without God's influence, no church, no temple, Jews by name only, 400 long years. What do you think? Kind of exciting? Not really. So this now now so step in and think about this this is where Zechariah the prophet in the New Testament is stepping into. So so when you're kind of like being a little hard maybe on him for maybe not really having the faith that you think he'd have we got to have some appreciation that this is where he's coming from. Zechariah and Elizabeth are good people. It tells us in the scripture, go back on to that scripture for me. Um, uh, And it says, uh, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Um, Of course, but they had no children. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were good people. They were walking in the ways of the Lord. Uh, In fact, some of the same words that are used uh, for David and having a heart after God, um, after God's own heart. Similar words were used here for Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a real priest, not a bribed one, like many that were um, filling um, their, their place in the Jewish-run um, Roman culture. And, um, and it, we find out that Zechariah had prayed for years that he and Elizabeth would have a child. And um, <clears throat> so there's 400 years of silence, and then they began praying for this child. And that they would have a baby. Um, you know, it makes you kind of wonder, I wonder when they stop praying. Because they're old now. I wonder if he'd given up at some point. His wife had finally grown too old to have children. He was too old, you know. And, and it makes you wonder, like, even in our own lives sometimes, when, when do we stop praying for something? Probably too soon. Probably we give up Because oftentimes our prayers are related to our expectations and not to God's timetable, right? I remember, I I often say this because I still don't, maybe this is something I'll ask God when I get to heaven, I don't know. But I always think about this, when Sandy and I were missionaries down in Florida with Awana, we had the whole bottom half of Florida and that was, we had a couple hundred churches that had Awana and we got to work with them and help them to reach kids and reach their community and... But we had a real passion for Cuba. And Sandy and I both grew up in the 70s during the Muriel boat lift. And I mean, half of our high school class um, were, were Cuban kids and they came to Cuba not speak, came to America not speaking English. It was a real cultural thing to bring a class together. And, um, and so we grew up with that and, and we just loved Cuba. We always thought as missionaries, there's so many kids down in Cuba, let's go see what we can do to help reach them. It's just 90 miles, you can get on a raft and just float over to Cuba. I don't recommend that. But it really is only 90 miles. And, um, and so it's only 90 miles away. Let's see what we could do to go, to go to Cuba and help them. Guess what? God never did that while we were missionaries in Florida. And I used to think, is it me? Because right after we left, the missionaries that were after us, guess where they went to? Cuba! And they were able to go. And now today, there's hundreds of churches using Awana in Cuba. And we've been able to be there now and go and see it. But, but we were not the tools that God used for Awana to get into Cuba. And I always ask myself, I wonder why that would be. And you know what it was? It wasn't God's timing. And we have an example of that here. You see, they had a prayer, but it wasn't God's timetable. How often do we get upset about prayers that don't get answered because it just happens to not be within God's timetable. Another question would be to say, was God actually answering their prayer? Because the reality is, maybe God was answering Zachariah's prayer decades before, but because there was this guy named John who was going to have a job to do to be the forerunner of Jesus, he had to wait until somebody else was born. Think about this. How old is Elizabeth? We don't know. That's the right answer, okay? But let's just say she's in her 60s, okay? Because she's too old to have babies. So, so let's just say she's in her 60s. Now, we do know how old Mary was when, when, the, when Gabriel came to speak to her. She was 14. So you guys do the math. How old was Mary when Elizabeth would have been of childbearing age? <clears throat> She wasn't born. She wasn't born. So so could God answer their prayers and knowing that John was going to be the forerunner to Jesus when the timing was John had to wait until Jesus would be coming, right? How often could that be true in our own prayers? That it's not that God doesn't want to answer it. It may just simply be that it's not his timetable yet. And we have a hard time waiting, don't we? We don't want to wait, and sometimes we forget about praying. Sometimes God answers our prayers, but we may not see the fruit until years later, and it has to be aligned to his work and his plan. So so in verse 13 there, so, so we see, we're not going to read this, but in verse 8, Zechariah finds out it's his turn to burn the incense in the temple, to the temple. And then he gets a visit, and this in verse 13, it says this, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, we know this to be John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist had one job and that one job was to be the forerunner of Jesus prophesied by who? Isaiah, well, Malachi, but all the way back to Isaiah in Isaiah verse 40, verse 3. Let's read that together. It says this, A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the prophecy of John the Baptist from Isaiah. Guess what? God is beginning to move. Goes even a step further. Go to verse 15 of Luke, if you will. Look with me there. Luke, verse 15 of chapter one, he says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, remember Remember when um, Mary walks in the room and Elizabeth is already pregnant, right? And what happens to the baby, right? He leaps, he jumps, he, he moves. And, and um, God is beginning, the Holy Spirit is beginning to move. God is beginning, after 400 years of silence, the Holy Spirit is active again, starting this with this new life in the womb. In verse 18 it says, And Zacharias said to the angel, Here's where he starts to get in trouble. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is in advanced years. Okay, now, is, is there, let's just be honest. If we were Zachariah, how many of you would have said the same thing? I mean, you'd be honest with, I mean, I'm raising my hand. I mean, it's kind of a practical question, right? It's like, it's like this just isn't gonna, this is, this isn't gonna happen, you know? Uh, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced and we're not going to have a baby. And so what are you thinking, Gabriel? Why do you think, this is a great question, why do you think he responded this way? I'll give you a clue. 400 years of silence. What are his expectations? If if I was Zechariah, I would be thinking, well, God might do something someday. Now, remember, he doesn't have everything laid out for him like we do, where we're beginning to see the Holy Spirit because John is being prophesied. We're beginning to see these things happen. He just has 400 years of experience where God is silent. And, and in many ways, Zechariah might be saying, well, God might do something, but it's probably not going to be in my lifetime. So even though he's excited about this day that he gets the lottery, he gets to go in and burn the incense, he gets this special visit from the angel Gabriel, he doesn't have a lot of reason to think that something exciting is about to happen. Maybe that's why, because it was the, every story he knew was 400 years old where there was something great about God. Maybe it was simply too good to be true. How many of you ever had something that was just simply too good to be true? You got an answer finally, and it was just too good to be true. Now, if it comes from the world, it probably is too good to be true. But if it comes from the promises of God, it's not too good to be true. You can count on it. You can know that... But but. But Zechariah wanted more information. He wanted some deeper proof and understanding from the angel that how this impossible declaration would come to be that Elizabeth would have a baby. Or maybe, finally, maybe he was just pragmatic about his job. You know, maybe it just wasn't necessary to have faith because this was just his job. And, you know, and I, I think, is it necessary in our culture today to have a lot of faith? <clears throat> It is for us as believers. Is it for an unbeliever? <laughs> it really isn't. You know, you think about it. This is Christmas time. Um, next week, even more than this week, uh, families that are coming here to visit are going to start coming in to visit. How many of us have a family member in our in our family that hasn't come to Christ? They don't really go to church, but they're going to come and visit and there may be a little bit of awkwardness there because you've been trying to help them understand how important a relationship with Christ is. But they're going to come to church. Why do they come to church? Is it because they believe? It's not because they believe. They come because maybe because you want them to come. They come maybe because they just think it's the right thing to do at Christmas time. They come, they're here, but it's not because of their belief. It's, it's because of their unbelief that they just think it's a good thing to do. And you know, I, it, it, it's interesting that in a way, this is what Zechariah was representing. Even though he was a righteous man before God, he was living in a religious rut, and he, had, he, he, he didn't have much faith because he didn't have experiences that gave him faith. We'll talk a little bit more about that. <clears throat> but first, let's talk about <clears throat> what happened. So <clears throat> Gabriel in verse 19, and the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. How shall I know? Uh, I, the said, I, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <clears throat> and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He says, I am Gabriel. Why did Gabriel need to introduce himself? He said, I stand in the presence of God. Why does he need to justify himself? I mean, let's think about this for just a second, you guys. OK, we're Zechariah, and we're in the temple, and this angel just came to stand beside us. Are, do you, if we know it's an angel of God, are you going to want to ask him a lot of questions? I mean I mean, Gabriel even says, "I stand in the presence of God." I, 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 it would, I would start thinking maybe I don't want to ask questions anymore. But it's too late because Zachariah has already asked the questions. Maybe Zachariah's forgotten about God and his army of angels. Really, he's a priest. He should be the one looking for God to move. But he's caught in this rut because there's no prophets, no vision, no Holy Spirit, no miracles, nothing, even though this is life-changing news from an angel who hung out with God regularly. Okay, just put a little note to self. If an angel comes to visit you, don't ask a lot of questions. Just listen. Did, I, mean, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but did Mary ask a lot of questions? Well, she asked one, but after that, she was all done. Um, <clears throat> so what does is, what is Gabriel say in verse 20? He says, and behold, you will all be silent and you will be unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which we will be fulfilled in their time. You see, the verse tells us it's unbelief. We know that Zachariah's issue in his heart is unbelief. We don't know what his motive was. We can't say it was because he didn't have good expectations. We don't know why, but we know it is unbelief. That was the outcome. And so Gabriel helped Zachariah see the truth about his own heart. And he does him a favor. He actually makes him stop talking. And he didn't speak for the next nine months. If Zachariah could have spoken, what do you think he would have talked about? I mean, he probably might have talked about his experience with the angel right when he came out what else would he talk about he'd probably talk about like this is really kind of crazy that this angel says that me and Elizabeth we're going to have a baby right so really Gabriel was probably doing him a favor so that he wouldn't speak out about his unbelief but it does make you ask that question why his voice why didn't he give him a limp Why, you could say, why didn't he give him bad hearing? But he was already an old man, so he probably already didn't have great hearing anyway. Usually the ladies laugh at that one. For all of us older guys, this hearing is starting to go. But he didn't take his hearing, or we don't know that he took his hearing. We just know that he couldn't speak for nine months. We know that whatever his motives were, he didn't have high expectations of what God might do. And that was his heart. He wasn't a religious rut. He didn't, he, he, he based his life on current conditions. And, it, and it's a question we have to ask, how are our expectations affected by current conditions? If we expect little, we may get little, right? If everything seems bad, then the world will be bad around us because that's how we see it. I remember Michael preaching a message not too long ago, oh, it's been a while ago now, that the shade of the glasses that we wear have a lot to do with how we view the world. Could it have just been a lack of seeing God do anything in his lifetime? His discouragement, seeing the world and the violence, the oppression, all the people that had been killed, could it have been what the priesthood had come to? <clears throat> but Zechariah had to come out and address the people And in verse 22, it says, he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And for the next nine months, Zechariah would remain mute until the birth of John. Makes us ask a question, maybe one you write down. What limits do we place on God? When we respond Because remember our point, our response reveals what? Our heart. Our response reveals our heart. When we respond, what kind of limitations do we put on God? Now, let's make a transition here. Because Gabriel has another mission. He's going to go and see somebody else. We could really spend our time all on Zechariah, but we need to compare this to Mary. And so Gabriel's second mission starts in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 26. And it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so this is six months later. Elizabeth is... Okay, the first the first service got that out a little faster. Okay, Elizabeth, yeah, it really happened. Elizabeth was pregnant, right? Does Mary know Elizabeth is pregnant? Mm, well, at the six months maybe, but what was Elizabeth doing for the first months of her pregnancy? She was hiding away. She was staying away. She didn't want people to know that she was pregnant. Not sure she knew... How to handle that. And then and then verses twenty-eight through thirty-three, I want to read these for you because there's such an important part of, of the, this text in Luke chapter one. It says this, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored One, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen? Amen. There's a lot in this text, but I want to focus like a laser beam for this morning on Mary's response next week uh, Michael will talk more of this related around um, the awe of the of and the curiosity of the shepherds but today I just want to think about Mary's response listen to it and then see how similar that is to Zachariah's response in verse 34 it says and Mary said to the angel how will this be since I am a virgin Does that seem like a reasonable question? It's kind of practical. It's actually kind of like Zachariah's question. How will this be? I am old and my wife is not of childbearing years. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She hasn't been with a man. She has no relationship with a man. How is she going to be pregnant? But there must be something different. Zechariah and Mary both gave similar responses to the promise made by God, but there's something different about Mary than Zechariah in their hearts. We don't know what's in their heart, right? I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in my heart. But we do see outcomes. We we see that that the result of our, our response is connected to the condition of our heart. So what was different? Well, in verse 36, it says this. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And listen to Mary in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is an interesting place where Mary's at. See, if we make a comparison and we look at the differences, <clears throat> there's some serious differences here. Let's just look at the differences between um, uh, Mary and, and uh, Zechariah and, and consider these. So, first of all, what's going to happen with Elizabeth and Zechariah? They're going to have a gender reveal party. How many of you in this room have had a gender reveal party? Okay, some of you young moms, raise your hand because I've seen them. Okay, all right, good, good. Okay, Um, some of you are just saying, I never raised my hand in church. I'm not raising it now. Um, That's okay. Sorry, I know who you are. Um, So I just want to be a little bit of a prophet here. I was reading up on gender reveals this week to see if there's any stories of any old people who had gender reveals. And I'm just here to tell you that within our current culture, I couldn't find any. But I did come up with some interesting things as a part of this gender reveal. Because you can imagine what a gender reveal would have been like for Zachariah and Elizabeth. But I did find this. You should be careful. I'm going to be a prophet here. For all of you young moms and dads that are doing gender reveals, there are some people who have gotten killed because of gender reveals. Okay? So I just want want you to know, before you start lighting things on fire or blowing things up, because... Pink or blue, just coming out of a pop balloon, isn't enough anymore. There have been people that were actually killed. There's some couple in Iowa, I think, they made literally what ended up turning into be a pipe bomb, and and it had color inside of it. And some piece of shrapnel hit somebody that was there, and they were killed. I mean, it's really not funny. when I mean, somebody actually died from that. So I just want you to know, be careful. But think of this: Elizabeth and Zachariah were having a gender reveal. They were going to be celebrated. Everyone was going to be invited. No one would want to miss out that these two older people who had prayed to God years before, they were going to have a baby, were now going to have a baby. He would have parties to celebrate the goodness of God. This was a culturally amazing thing that was about to happen because children were so important in the culture. And This would be coming to a barren family. He would enjoy a child for the rest of his life and maintain his good state status in society. But the world would judge these two people very differently. What about Mary? Mary would bear in the suffering of Jesus, wouldn't she? I mean, Mary may not have known it right at this moment when Gabriel first talked to her, but she would ultimately watch her son die on the cross. She would see a cruel death. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, what, even Death on a cross. So as excitement over Elizabeth is growing, embarrassment is happening for Mary. Maybe not just embarrassment, maybe sorrow, maybe a lot of pain. Mary would lose her status. In fact, maybe they already had. You know, we have a lot of stories about the inn and how there was no room in the inn. There weren't hotels in Nazareth at this time. These were family compounds, and there were no guest rooms in the family compound. So they were filtered down into a place where they keep animals because that was the only room they had. But it makes you kind of question, do you think that maybe they were already being rejected for their promiscuity, quote-unquote, in the eyes of the culture? It makes you wonder... Mary would be seen as a loose woman for the rest of her life. No one would believe her story. Even her soon husband-to-be didn't believe the story until what? Until the angel came and spoke to him, right? And confirmed to him that this was of God. No one would believe the story. This was an issue even for Jesus as he grew up. You'll remember when he was in the temple as a boy and he was talking and um, was talking about healing of people. Um, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah and the, and the Pharisees attacked him for claiming that he was doing miracles in the power of God. You remember this? And they said in John 6, 42, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say I have come down from heaven? And then if you skip to John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God... Were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came out of my own accord, but he sent me. Was Jesus from God? Yes. Did the people believe it? No. They Maybe they never did. People didn't buy the story that Joseph wasn't the real dad of Jesus. Everyone would know this discretion and hold it against Joseph and Mary their entire lives, probably. Likely, this is why no one made room for Joseph when he returned home with his pregnant, unmarried, young, soon wife-to-be. But let's reflect for a moment. What about Jesus? Jesus had a home in heaven, and he knew these things. Jesus knew that he would step into our world That he would be conceived in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. He willingly took on that flesh in his incarnation. He was fully aware of how his life would turn out. He knew he would be in danger from childhood on. He knew that he'd be mocked and harassed. He knew that he would be beaten, flogged, and crucified. Why did he do it? Because he loved us. He wanted us to be with him someday in heaven. He knew that the only payment that was a good sacrifice... For the Father in heaven, for our sins that we had, was if a willing, sinless lamb would be crucified for us. So he did that out of love. You know why the Pharisees were so against that? And why still today, many of the Jews still don't see Jesus as a Savior? Think back to the 400 years of silence. What were they looking for? They were looking for a warrior. They wanted someone to come and to stick up for them and to get back at those Greeks and get back at the Romans and make the, the, the children of Israel a strong nation again. They wanted a warrior savior. But who did they get? They got a savior who died out of his love for people. And he didn't just die for the Jewish people. He died for the Gentiles. And it wasn't what they were looking for. Zachariah gets nine months of being mute. Zachariah gets joy and happiness and a baby boy. Mary gets a lifetime of dishonor. You know all this has to be running through her head, right? So what? So what does that mean? I think the point is your response reveals your heart. God is going to move, so live like it might be tomorrow. God hears our prayers and he answers them. He loves to answer our prayers, but he might not do it in our timetable. If you had prayed a prayer when you were 20, you might have a conversation with this from God. God says, remember when you prayed that prayer when you were 20? And you say, no, I really don't remember that prayer now. God says, well, I began answering that years ago. Don't forget the prayers that you send to me. I don't forget them. It really all comes down to what you think about verse 37, doesn't it? What is verse 737? Let's say it together. For nothing will be impossible with God. Did Mary believe that? She did. She had to believe that in order for her to respond the way that she did. Did Zechariah believe it? Well, he should have believed it. He had all of the experiences to believe it as far as being a priest, but he had no experiences. Of God doing things in His life, isn't that kind of interesting? You know, we hear a lot these days about, "Hey, let's 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 uh, let's do more experiences in life. Let's let's stop with things in life and instead focus on more on experiences." That's a good thing, by the way, because what comes out of experiences? Values, uh, good good learning. Um, that helps us to understand what are the important principles in our life. That's what, what comes out of things. Just a love for more things. But when we have experiences, and there was something very different about Mary's experiences than Zachariah's experiences. He was leaning on his experiences of old. Mary was leaning on her experiences that God could do anything and that nothing was impossible. Well, I ask you the question, what do you believe God's faithful of? What can he do in your life and my life? I want to give you a, just a brief example. It's a little hard to talk about it, actually. But uh, four years ago, um, after I, I had had a heart attack about, and had open-heart surgery, about two, two months later, um, we have six children. Our middle daughter, Melanie, um, she and her husband, Drew, uh, they, they called us up, and they were crying, and we knew something was wrong. And... And they had just been to the doctor at her 20 weeks and found out that they had a little boy. um, His name would be um, um, Timothy Ezekiel. We called him Baby Zeke. That he had been born and he was 20 weeks old. And he was he. I'm sorry. He had uh, he was in her womb and he was 20 weeks old and he was born without a brain. He had not developed a brain. And um, it was pretty devastating for them as a young couple, as you can imagine. And the culture of the day would say, you just abort the baby. Um, there's nothing that you can do. And I, I watched a young couple, never. they never wrestled with that. That was already a life principle of theirs. Um, but we watched a young couple wrestle with with, what does this mean? And... And, and how are we supposed to live our lives? And I was asking Melanie this week because I thought of this as it related uh, to to how Zachariah responded or how Mary responded and how we respond when we think of these things. And it made me think, Melanie, how did you respond? What were you thinking? You know, if you were going to keep that baby to full term because that was their decision they were going to do, what were you expecting? And and she told me, she said, well, there, there was a part of me that really knew that if God wanted to, he could heal baby Zeke while he was in my womb in that last 20 weeks. If that was a miracle he wanted to do, he could do that. But as the weeks went on, um, she and Drew went much deeper than that toward, well, what if he chooses to heal him, but that healing comes from taking him to heaven, not healing him to be able to live on this earth? And, then, and that actually went then to helping them to see where God can do impossible things in their lives and teaching them as a very young couple that sometimes there would be struggles in their life that they wouldn't have control of. And how do you deal with things when you're not in control of it? And you know, <clears throat> little Zeke was born. She had to have a cesarean because he would have died in birth if she'd had him naturally. And little Zeke was born, and he came out, and, and he had lots of color. But as the minutes and hours began to go by, it was so clear that he wasn't born for this earth. And his color began to fade. And that little guy, um, our family was all gathered together. We were there. And we never, we never had to put him down. He lived a life of being held his whole life. And 35 hours later, he passed and he went to heaven. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, we, we thought as we just looked around the family, what a beautiful experience to have 35 precious hours with a little boy. But that really God wanted him to be in heaven with him. And you know, I don't think we're, the, we're not by far, we're not the only family that's ever had an experience like that. And I think in this room, there's plenty of us that have had pain. And and we have to ask those hard questions to ourselves. What, what is God really teaching us in this? What, 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 what expectations do I put on God that I shouldn't be putting on God? Because it might not be in my time frame that he wants to do his work. Or he might not answer it in the way that I want him to answer it. And I saw that in this young couple, and it was such a... An amazing thing to see how God worked through their lives and to this day continues to work through their lives. For nothing will be impossible with God. And this is what Zachariah and Mary were dealing with in a very different way. Mary had decided that God could do anything in her life. So, your response reveals your heart. (laughs) When you think of Zachariah, he had one response. When you think of Mary, she had a different response. When we think of our own response, how do we respond to the fact that God is all powerful and nothing is impossible? You know, some of us are gonna experience some tough situations this Christmas. It always seems like at Christmas time, you get connected to maybe family members that you're not close to, that you have struggles with, you have hurts with. How does God want you to look at that differently this year? I, I don't know. But nothing is impossible with God. God can find what he needs to within you to help you through this difficult time. Mary responded out of her faith because her response revealed her heart. Think of what God has done so far in in your life to make it easier for you to believe that God likes to surprise us. I have two verses in closing I just want to give to you. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that when his seeing was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11, verse three. Our life is a, li- a life of faith. And then Hebrews, verse six, Hebrews 11, verse six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews eleven six. So God wants to do a great work in us. And I just want to pray for you this morning that God would do that work in your heart this Christmas season. What is that reflection for you? I I can't say what it is for you. You can't say what it is for me. But God wants to do something special in our hearts that as first responders, that our first response would be more like Mary. And that we wouldn't put God in a box that God doesn't need to be in. And we wouldn't allow for uh, our experiences or our lack of faith to make something different than what God wants his best for us in this season. So let's pray. Father, we are committed to your word. And sometimes we look at people like Mary and we see how different her heart was from And Lord, they were both really good people, but they had a different heart. And Mary had a heart of faith. Mary wanted to believe that God could do anything in her life. And even though she wondered in a practical way what that was, God, you gave her the strength to do the most difficult thing that would be in her life, which was to carry out the birth of a son, the incarnate son, your son, that came down from heaven to be the savior of the world. And Lord, I just pray in this season that we could be just a little bit like Mary that our faith would be more like Mary's, that we in our practicality would see that with you there's nothing that is impossible. Lord, help us to see that in our own lives. May you be a reflection of that. May you see that, that um, you can put the power of the cross in our own lives to help us to walk through the difficult things that might face us. We know they're here. We know everyone, as Matt prayed earlier today, We know every one of us have struggles that we've come into this room with. God, may you use the power of your word to speak in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.